those who will be following the Lord in obedience in baptism immediately following the message this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, simply state some of the ministry of the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. Verse 5, then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Twice there, Jordan is mentioned, and some of our thoughts will surround that geography and that particular body of water where men came to John the Baptist to be baptized. This is a great experience for us. Those of us who have been baptized now become spectators, and those who are to be baptized give testimony of the change God has worked within their heart. Great transformation from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And they now are new creatures in Christ Jesus, old things having passed away, and all things now have become new in the Lord. We'd like simply to talk about the mandate of baptism, the method, the mold, and the motivation for water baptism. So we'll follow that kind of sketch outline this morning. First of all, the mandate of baptism we find in the final words of Jesus to his disciples. Go ye into all the world. And most of you can finish that quotation and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Part of the mandate to spread the gospel to every continent and every culture of people is that accompanying the believing and receiving of that gospel are those to be baptized. So the mandate to spread the gospel and the mandate to be baptized are in the same verse together. There is not an option here. If baptism would be an option, then the commission is an option. And you and I recognize that the great commission of God has never been rescinded. It still is vital and effective for us this morning. And if the mandate of the spreading of the gospel is still effective, then the mandate to be baptized is also vital to us. The meaning, as far as baptism is concerned, has been changed and eroded a bit because of tradition, because of convenience over the years. Because of this erosion, perhaps the import of that or the significance of baptism also has undergone some drastic uh, change and needs Bible ground to stand upon. So we'll take a look at the meaning of baptism. Supposing perhaps this morning you came from a different culture altogether, or perhaps even a different planet, you've never heard of baptism before, you don't know what the word means, 
So you're hearing it for the first time. That would necessitate putting aside all previous uh, preconceptions or ideas about it. Let's just look at the Word of God, find out what uh, the Gospels have to say and uh, what the New Testament church practiced in the beginning. And if we can do that, I think it might help us to stand firmly upon what Jesus commissioned and commanded for us to be a part of. On the day of Pentecost, you remember when there was 3,000 heard Peter preach the gospel for the first time under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They were convicted within their heart, and they cried out, Men and brethren, what are we to do? And Peter's response is still valid to us this morning. He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And those a combination of blessings come together, and we thank the Lord for them. Repentance first, and then the mandate, be baptized, every one of you, by the authority of the name of Jesus. He was identifying whose authority he was uh, given to make that statement, and as a result of the forgiveness of sins. Every one of us to be baptized. The first reference to baptism is the one we've read here in the third chapter in the Gospels, where John the Baptist is uh, the, the baptizer, the agent of baptism. They were baptized of him in Jordan. Now, I know if you watch the news, Jordan can be a place in geography. It can be one of the areas in the Middle East. Uh, so it could have been, if we just read it that way, an activity that John was doing in that place of geography. But Mark tells us in the first chapter, the fifth verse, that John was baptizing in the river Jordan. So what's being spoken of here is not just a geographical area where John was ministering, but it was in fact in the river Jordan. Now, if we stopped at that particular point, we might conclude that baptism then should take place in the Middle East and should be done in the River Jordan. Uh, but if we read on through, we understand a bit more. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 23 says, And John also baptized in Anon in Salem because there was much water there. So the main factor then we've seen so far in baptism that there was the need for much water there and that Jordan qualified as a river capable of baptism because it had also much water. I'd said before that tradition and convenience has changed baptism somewhat and uh, different people have adopted different modes of baptism and uh, I was sharing just confirming information that I had recalled Brother David Andrews giving at one particular time of an experience during his stay in Philadelphia. A particular church that had quite a large congregation of people uh, periodically would have a baptismal service and their mode of baptism was that they would, they would block off one whole street in front of their church to traffic and all the candidates for baptism would uh, be filed out into the middle of that street in Philadelphia in front of their church 
and they would be sprayed with fire hoses from each side uh, of that street, and that was their means of baptism. One of the firemen said to his priest, he said, you know, Father, I baptize more people on one Sunday than you do in a lifetime. So you can see that the means and the method of baptism does change from place to place. What I want to do for you this morning is have us look into the Word of God and find out where the origins are and are we on Bible ground in what we're doing. So John uh, baptized in Jordan. He also baptized in Salem because there was much water there. The book of Acts chapter 8 tells about Philip, who was one of the first deacons of the early church, anointed of God and used mightily as he went to the city of Samaria and preached Jesus to them. The Bible says that many received the word of God with gladness and there were demons cast out, sick bodies healed, and the Bible says there was great joy in that city. And many who believed upon the message of Christ were baptized in water. And uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and and instructed him to leave Samaria and go to an obscure desert area of Gaza where there a man, an Ethiopian, an African, who was the treasurer of Queen Candace, had visited Jerusalem, was now on his way back home, and the Holy Spirit instructed him to hitchhike a ride. And as he drew near to the chariot, this man was reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah out loud, and uh, Philip said to him, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I except someone explain it to me? And he came up into the chariot, and from that scripture preached Jesus unto him. And he believed upon the Lord. And evidently, Philip went a step further and explained what the next obvious step for him would be, would be water baptism. Because in that text, he said, well, to Philip, here is much water. What doth hinder me now from being baptized? And Philip said, if you truly believe with all of your heart, nothing. So from the biblical statement that Philip responded to the Ethiopian, we can be instructed this morning, there is only one prior recognition or requirement for water baptism and that is believing faith in Jesus Christ. To be baptized without a vital believing faith in Jesus Christ would be out of order, would be an empty form. But if you truly believe with all of your heart, nothing hinders you. He didn't say to him, well, you need to prove your experience for 30 days or for 30 minutes. But he said immediately on the same day, on on the same hour that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe with all of your heart, nothing hinders you from being baptized. And so the Bible says in verse 38, Philip, who was the baptizer, the Ethiopian who was the candidate, went down both of them into the water. So the need for much water, both the baptizer and the candidate, went both of them down into the water. So we see just a bit more information that in order to be baptized, both of them needed to go down into the water. Romans chapter 6 verse 4, verses 4 and 5 gives us a bit more instruction. 
the Apostle Paul writes about the meaning, the meaning of baptism. Therefore, being buried with him by baptism unto death, like as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we are raised to walk in newness of life. So the meaning of baptism, then, is a burial. Just as Jesus died, according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again, according to the Scriptures, we identify ourselves with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism, so that we, too, are buried with him by baptism. And like he arose from the grave on that resurrection morning, so we raise to walk in newness of life. A second witness comes from Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, where again Paul says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him. We are so to walk in him and put on Christ. We are buried with him by baptism. There are no other indications of forms of baptism anywhere in the New Testament. Otherwise, we destroy the symbolism and the meaning of baptism. It means, I believe, Jesus died for my sins, was buried in the grave, and three days later, God raised him from the tomb, and my salvation rests totally upon the finished work of Calvary. Jesus died for me. He was buried. He rose again for my justification. And if he didn't raise again, we're still in our sins. But thanks be to God, he is the first fruits of them that sleep. Because he arose, he becomes the guarantee of our resurrection as well. Hallelujah. And he has ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, and he will return to receive us unto himself. So we destroy the meaning of baptism if it is eroded by tradition or anything other than Bible ground to stand upon. We are buried with him by baptism and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We've already talked about who can be, and the qualification is if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's always in that order in Scripture. You will never find baptism without first reference to believing faith. First reference to believing faith, confession of sins, receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They always are in that Bible order. A choice and decision made by the candidate himself to be identified with the Lord in Bible baptism. The motivation, I think, is best illustrated, perhaps, in the Old Testament, just in a brief picture we receive from a man who was uh, by name Shechem. Uh, Jacob and his wife had a daughter, Dinah, and this young man fell in love with this young lady and uh, went to his father to make arrangements for marriage. Now, he was a, a Hivite. He was not an Israelite. And so that presented a problem. When they approached Jacob, he and his brother said, we have one condition. The, the outward sign of Old Testament covenant was circumcision. And that identified those people as God's people. They, that was their symbol of covenant relationship with the Lord. When you read the New Testament, you know that this is uh, the equivalent of New Testament water baptism. This is the New Testament 
outward sign of our being covenant people with the Lord. So what these people are doing this morning is uh, going through that outward sign that identifies them that they are entering into covenant relationship with their God, the new covenant with God. And that really identified the Israelite as God's people. And so they said, if you intend to marry Dinah, our daughter, then you must submit to circumcision. And the Bible says that he deferred not to do this thing, for he delighted in her. And I trust that for every candidate that's here this morning, you would say the same thing. The motivation for my going into the water is I will defer not to do this thing because I delight myself in the Lord. Amen? We were not God's people. We were not God's covenant people. We were alienated and strangers from Him, but by choice we come into covenant relationship with Him because we delight in Him. We are not going to put off doing this thing. We're not going to set it aside as trivial because they said, if you don't go through this, we'll take our daughter and go. And uh, it's important, too, to understand this is indeed the outward sign of covenant relationship, new covenant relationship with the Lord, trusting completely, totally, our life in his hands and giving our all unreservedly to the Lord. Praise God that we delight in him. Not duty. I trust not one person will be baptized this morning out of the fact that, well, in order to join the church, I've got to do this, so I'm going to do it to meet their requirements, but that you will do this thing. Not defer to do this thing because you delight. You've fallen in love with someone, and you delight in them, and that's what you want to do because of a love relationship that you've established with him. Hallelujah. No other motivation but out of obedient love that we have toward our God. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that he's made a way that we can have a relationship together, not just for time, but for all eternity? Praise the Lord. All eternity. It is an everlasting covenant that he makes with us. Just in closing, one other brief Old Testament illustration and picture that helps us to get a handle on what baptism can mean. 900 years earlier, there was another incident involving the Jordan River. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, it gives us a very interesting and intriguing portion of the Word of God. I don't have time to read it to you, but it would be good devotional time this afternoon or sometime during the week to read the story of Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, great man with his master, honorable, a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper, hopelessly, incurably diseased with leprosy. Most of you understand leprosy to be a type of sin. Naaman is a type of a sinner of which all mankind qualify to identify with. The message of the gospel came to him through a little girl. The gospel simply means good news. He received good news one day 
because the little girl said if if he were living where I was raised, he could be healed of that incurable disease because God is able to heal leprosy. So a letter was written to the king, and advance gifts were sent, $60,000 in gold, 20000 in silver, 20 changes of raiment sent to the king. And uh, if you want to look back that portion, you can with me, 2 Kings chapter 5, and uh, verse 5, the king of Syria said, I will send a letter, and he departed and took 10,000 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, 10 changes of raiment, and brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when the letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him from his leprosy. It came to pass when the king of Israel read the letter that he ruined a good suit. He rent his clothes. He needed one of those ten to replace the one that he tore. And said, Am I a God to kill and make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man from leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he searches the quarrel against me. He's just picking a fight here. Verse 8, And it was so when Elijah, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. The rest of the chapter is intriguing as we find out really something significant here. You don't have to bribe God for his blessings. How many know you don't have to slip God something under the table to get him to do something for you? He'll do it just because he loves you. He'll do it by grace and through faith. And Naaman came and stood at the gate of, of Elisha. And instead of what he thought was going to happen, Elisha sent his servant out and told him, Go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And his response was, Behold, I thought. You see, Naaman came to that encounter with a whole lot of preconceived ideas. And because of those preconceptions and misconceptions, he almost missed the blessing that God had for him. And what I'm saying to you this morning, church, if we come to this service with a lot of preconceptions and misconceptions about baptism, we can miss what God really would like to do in our lives. Behold, I thought he would come out and adjure his God for me or take his hand and strike it over the place. At least I'd be slain in the spirit, at the very least. But he sends a servant to tell me to dip in this Jordan, and then he begins to rationalize, and that is an enemy of blessings of God. Are not the rivers back in Syria? Abana and Parfar, much better, much cleaner, much nicer than Jordan. Why do I have to do it this way? What benefit is there for me to go and dunk in this water? What is that supposed to do for leprosy? He was wroth, he was angry, and he turned his chariot around and headed back toward his country. If it hadn't been for some good friends that said to him, if the king had asked you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? Why not? Do what he asked you to do. And he reconsidered, went back to the Jordan, dipped seven times, and when he emerged the seventh time, 
verse 14 says, And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Hallelujah. Say, well, preacher, what good does it do to go into that water and have someone put you under the water and back up again? That doesn't make sense to me. I'll tell you what it does. It makes you obey the Lord. It is an humble obedience to the commandment of the Lord. It is a mandate from God, and we are obeying God's specific mandate. But behold, I thought, I thought you could just do it this way or that way. I thought, you know, isn't my way just as easy? Isn't my rivers just as, aren't they just as clean? Maybe they're a little more convenient. No. He said, go and dip, and you're not going to be clean till you go and dip. And so it is an act of obedient faith to the Lord that he honors. Naaman went back with a testimony, and I like that. It says that he returned saying there is only one God, and that's Jehovah. Only he can heal. Now he understood there was no magic in that water. There was nothing miraculous about Jordan. It was God that healed him. It was obedience to God that healed him. There's nothing mysterious or miraculous about these waters. It's God that does the changing. It's God who performs the miracles. Hallelujah. He went with a new testimony because he had obeyed the Lord. God will do for us what no earthly power is able to do, and he'll bless us every time we obey him. And so for those who will be baptized, it is an act of obedience to him who made the command. Father, I pray that you'll bless these thoughts to our minds. I pray, Lord, especially for those who today have decided that this is a commitment of their life without reservation to God that you've already come into their heart and they believe on you with all of their hearts. And I pray your blessing upon all who witness their testimony in courage and strength, and I pray each of us in Jesus' name. Amen.